worship with this us this morning. There is nothing that our God can't do. Amen. We will believe for greater things to come in our future. Just one word. You call the storm and surround.
watch the world But it couldn't fail me And man's empty praise And treasures of faith Are never enough That you came along
we bring our hearts this morning, God. We worship you.
how many of you are so thankful that God is not finished with you yet? You see, sometimes in life, we, we go through some circumstances, we go through some trials, some temptations, some, some things where maybe we have some regrets. Anybody ever have a regret? And we think that these things disqualify us from God's love. We think that the past mistakes can make him not want to look at us, make him not want to love us, make him not want to believe in us and have purpose for us. But it's quite the opposite. You see, God loves us. He takes us just as we are. With all of our failures, with all of our mistakes, with all of our regrets, with all those things of the past. And he will use those things. He will take those mistakes and turn them into a message. He will take those trials, those temptations, those things that you have walked through and turn them into a testimony. Because that's the God that we serve. Maybe you're walking through a moment right now where you feel like God's left you. Or how could God forgive you? But I want you to know that God has never left you. He forgives you. He loves you. His face shines upon you. And then he's not finished with you yet. He's not finished with you yet. Whatever circumstance you're walking through, whether that's health, whether that's finances, he is not finished with you yet. You may feel like you are down and out, but he is not finished with you yet. He sent his son on the cross to die for your sins. He is not finished with you yet. Even though you may feel like you have lost the battle, he has won the victory. He has won the war. Whatever you're walking through today, I want you to lift that up. We're going to pray. We're going to believe that God's going to work miracles. Lord, we thank you. We love you for taking us in our brokenness, for taking us with all of those things of our past, and God, for loving us anyways, for believing in us. God, thank you for having a plan and a purpose for us for right now and for tomorrow. God, if there's anyone who in this very moment, Lord, feels like they don't have hope, God, I pray that you would speak life, speak joy. God, we love you. We trust you. And God, you are not finished with us yet. You are not finished with me yet. You're not finished with this church yet. You're not finished with this nation yet. Because God, greater things are coming. And we thank you and we praise you and we declare victory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, church, we just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, if you're with us online, thanks so much for tuning in. We're glad that you're with us. If you're in the house today, we just want you to take a moment. We want you to wave at somebody and uh, just say thank you so much for being here. We want to give you a few reminders. If you're here with uh, your children and they might be more comfortable in our family room, you can exit to my left and you can head out to the family room and you can have a great time over there. As you're finding your seats, we want to continue in our time of worship. And what better way to continue in our time of worship than to give to the Lord? You know, every week we have an opportunity to give and to say thank you. Thank you, God, for what you've been doing in my life. Thank you for what you've been doing in my family's life. And so we just want to take that moment. They're going to throw up on the screen the ways that you can give. 
But we want to thank you for your faithfulness. We want to thank you for your generosity. You know, a couple years ago, um, I, I opened up a, a retirement account. Anybody ever open up one of those? And, you know, I was, I was putting a little bit of money away. And a few months ago, my retirement person reached out to me. And he said, hey, I want to talk to you about some things that have been happening. And at that time, the, the market had been going down. And he's like, look, the second quarter was the worst quarter we've had in 10 plus years. And he's like, but the third quarter was the best quarter we've had in 10 plus years. And he said, so we thought you were going down, but now you're going up. And I was like, well, praise the Lord. You know, I was thinking about that this morning because when you put money into a stock or whatever, you're trying to make money. You're trying to get a return on your investment. Can I tell you, it's nice if you make a return on your investment in the stock market. But can I tell you, there is no, nothing that compares to the return when you give to the Lord. There's nothing that compares to the return when you give to the Lord. So I want to say thank you for your generosity, church, and know that he is faithful and that he can be trusted. Also want to remind you at the end of service, uh, we do have a couple of giving stations in the back that if you have a, a tithe envelope and you feel more comfortable doing that, we also have one out in the lobby that you could do as well. Church, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, we're going to turn our eyes to the screen. We want to keep you up to date with church news. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us in church today. We are excited to get to spend the day with you and with your family. We are believing that this year is going to be full of bigger and better things that God has for us in our lives and in our church. So make your plans to be with us in the weeks ahead. And here's a look at what's coming up at the bridge. Our community care team has served faithfully and diligently throughout this unprecedented season while taking very few weekends off. With every new week, the need for food has only grown and we want to do our best as a church to provide food for as many people as we possibly can. So in order to do that, we're looking to expand our team of volunteers who serve here on Sunday mornings. If you would like to be a part of this great team making a tangible difference in people's lives, we would love to meet you. Please email nsmith at thebridgechurch.tv for more information. Thanks so much for your willingness to serve and make a difference right here in the Temecula Valley. If you're new to The Bridge, we want to invite you to join us at Connecting Point. Connecting Point is where you go to learn more about the church, about the history, the heart, and the vision of The Bridge. But most importantly, find out where you fit in and how you can get involved. And we would love to host you and help you get connected in this church family. So the next Connecting Point is happening next Sunday morning during the 1130 service. And if you'd like to join us, we just ask you to register by going to our website or the Bridge app and clicking on the Connect tab. By registering, we will be able to plan for you. And if you have kids, Bridge Kids will be happening during that service to serve your kids. So make your plans to join us at Connecting Point next Sunday morning and find your place here in the Bridge family.
What's up, Bridge Youth? Hey, don't miss youth this Wednesday night. We're kicking off a brand new series. Make sure to bring a mask, bring a water bottle, bring a friend. It's going to be awesome. If you aren't already, follow us on Instagram at bridgeyth underscore to stay updated with everything going on in youth. See you this Wednesday night. Hangs are at 6 and service at 7. If you're new to the church, we want to help you find your place and get connected. Just go to our website or the Bridge app and click on the Connect tab. There you'll find a Connect card with details to help you get connected. If you don't yet have the Bridge app, just text the keywords the Bridge Church app to 77977. This is the best way to stay updated with everything happening in church life. Thanks again for being in church with us today, and we love spending Sundays with you and with your family. How's everybody today? Hey, it's good to see you on Sunday morning, the last day of January. Wow, it's here already. If you're new to the bridge or if it's your first time here, we want to welcome you especially today. Thanks for joining us. There are a lot of great churches in the valley. We're honored you would choose to be with us today. Thanks for being here. Let's just pray before we get into God's word today, okay? Father, thank you today for your presence in the house. Thank you that We've honored you with our praise and our worship and you're inhabiting our praises. Thank you that you're here to speak into every heart, into every life, everyone who's listening today, here in the building, those who are watching online, you're speaking to us today. Open our hearts that we hear your voice. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We're in a series called The Big Picture. And and the reason we're doing this is I believe God wants us to approach life from a biblical kingdom perspective, seeing the big picture of life that God sees. In other words, I want to see for my life what God sees for my life. And much of what he sees, the foundation of it, is right here in his word. And I'm going to dive right into the message today because of time. Last week we talked about the challenges of life. And what I really did was just give you an introduction to the challenges of life. The fact that a challenge, a trial, a valley, whatever tag you want to put on it, is something that God meant for us to go in one side, deal with it correctly, overcome it, and then walk out the other side. God walking with us. That's his will, his plan for our lives. But we also talked about the fact last week that in life there are different kinds of challenges. And each different kind of challenge needs to be dealt with differently. So it's really important for us to be able to distinguish and know what am I dealing with? What kind of challenge is this? What do I do? Who's involved in this? What are they trying to accomplish? And how do I need to handle all of this? It's important for us to know this. So what I want to do today, I want to continue where I started last week talking about challenges. And today... I want to look at two of life's 
most common recurring challenges. Let me say that again. I want to look at two of life's most common recurring challenges. In other words, things that we go through continually from time to time. Now, if I were to talk about trials, one of the things that a lot of people say, well, we need to talk about temptation. We'll get to that one Sunday down the road. But today, I want to look at two things that I think are important for people because they're confusing, especially if they start happening at the same time. If you don't distinguish what's happening in your life and you don't know from Scripture how to deal with it, you're going to struggle with that moment. You can be confused and it hurts your relationship with God. So, number one, first today, I want to talk about sifting. Sifting. We're going to look at Luke chapter 22. If you've got a Bible, turn there. If not, we'll have the verses on the screen. But the first challenge that we face from time to time is the challenge of sifting. Sifting is the challenging of my faith. Sifting is the challenging of my faith. What do you believe? What do you stand on? What do you hold on to? What do you really stand for and believe? Sifting is the challenging of my faith. And I want to look, at you, look, look today quickly at two stories from Scripture that really help us identify what sifting is. First, in Luke 22, Jesus is talking to Simon, who's also known as Peter. And here's what he says in Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord Jesus said, Simon, Simon. How many of you know when God calls your name twice, he's really trying to get your attention? We know what it is for God to call our name, but when he says it twice, it's like when your mom uses your middle name. It's a big deal. Simon, Simon, indeed, for truth, for a fact, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. In verse 32, but Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Jesus said, I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. In these two verses, we see the basic essence of what sifting is all about. Satan wants from time to time to sift us like wheat. Now, most of us have never been in a harvest, especially, you know, today everything's done pretty much with machinery. But to sift wheat, they would take a stalk of wheat and what they would do is they would shake it like this until all the grain fell off. If you think of sifting in modern days in a kitchen, every cook knows what a sifter is. You use a sifter to let small particles fall through and larger particles stay there. You lose the unimportant stuff and you hang on to the important stuff. Satan wants to sift us like wheat. Have you ever felt like somebody had grabbed your life and just shook it and shook it and shook it and you had everything was falling off everywhere and you wonder what's next? Well, oftentimes, that's the work of the enemy testing our faith to find out what do you really believe. Now, in Peter's story, 
This wasn't long when this happened. wasn't long before Jesus is about to go to the cross. They take him in. They arrest him. Peter follows at a distance, and he's kind of watching what's going on. And all of a sudden, this young woman comes along and says, Ah, you're one of his followers. I mean, Jesus has been arrested. He's looking at crucifixion. Peter's afraid. And what Jesus said suddenly comes to pass because this young woman keeps coming back saying, you're one of his followers, you're one of his followers. And when the pressure is on, Peter says, I don't even know the man. And he begins to curse and swear to try to separate himself from Jesus. After that's over with, Peter walks away, broken, embarrassed, ashamed. But if you go back and look at what Jesus said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I'm prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you've gone through this process, I'm praying that you will bounce back and you will use what's happened to you to strengthen and encourage other people. From time to time in this life, our faith is going to be challenged. Satan creates a situation, there's heavy pressure, it looks like there's no way out, we don't know what's going to happen here, and then he looks us in the eye and he says, what do you really believe? Do you really trust God? Do you really trust the promises of God? Is your God really reliable? Are you sure you know how this is going to end? Because if you look at it, I am here to destroy you. You can lose your faith and walk away or I will tear you limb from limb. What I've been doing in shaking this, it'll go all the way to the end and you lose your life. It's what the enemy does to us. It's the game he plays and then it gets our emotions involved and we get all stirred up. You see, Satan wants to find out what really lies at the core of my confession? Oh, yeah, I'm a believer. Oh, yeah, my trust is in Jesus. Oh, yeah, I believe the Bible. Oh, yeah, I know the promises of God. But when the pressure comes and things look impossible and the heat is on, what's going on in here? See, our confession is one thing. Sometimes, everybody say sometimes. Sometimes talk is cheap. True confession is saying what God says. And there's some people trying to get their heart where God is. They're trying to get there, but they're struggling. It's not a put down. It's, a, it's part of the process. But here's what I want you to know. Satan will put you under pressure so that he can find out and you can learn for yourself what you really believe. His goal is to destroy your faith in God. God's goal is to strengthen you. And walk you through it. And your faith is refined and stronger than it's ever been before. Will I really trust God? Will I really trust God? Even in a difficult situation when the enemy is shaken saying, what do you really believe? Will I trust God? Will I believe his word? When I'm sifted, when I'm shaken, what's the last thing I'm going to turn loose of? What is the last thing I will turn loose of? Whatever it is. That's where I've placed my trust. You know, for some people, it's relationship. For some people, it's family. For some people, it's money. For some people, it's job. It can be a lot of different things. What's the last thing you will turn loose of? The enemy wants to know, is that your faith in God or are there other things that I can touch that will make you walk away from God? What do you really believe? Real quickly, I want to read another passage of Scripture. It's a second story. And I'm going to move really fast because I want to cover this today. Daniel chapter 3. There's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three guys were in government. 
They were good friends of the prophet Daniel. They were Jewish young men who were held in captivity, but yet they rose to prominent places. And what happened was Nebuchadnezzar the king said, okay, here's the deal. I built this image of myself and every time the musicians begin to play, when I send out the orchestra and they begin to play my song, everybody has to bow down and worship the image. So one day Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the, in the square and all of a sudden they're near that image. The musicians begin to play, the band strikes up the music, the orchestra is going on and on and everybody falls on their faces and begins to worship the idol except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they come in, they grab him, they say, hey, you got to bow. If you don't bow, the king will throw you into a fiery furnace. And they said, we don't care, we're not going to bow. Well, they take him in before the king, and the king says, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to give you one more chance. And let's pick this up, verse number 15, Daniel chapter 3. The king says, now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. He said, I'll let this slide. I'm going to give you one more chance. But notice what he says next. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? I'm the greatest king on the earth. I'm going to throw you in a furnace if you don't bow. Do you really think God can save you from this? Go a little further, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. What they're saying is we have no reason to change our story. Verse 17. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Verse 18. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. There are a lot of great stories in the Bible. I, for example, I, I would love to have been there the day when David killed Goliath. I mean, that story intrigues me. But this story intrigues me too. Because a whole nation of people who've been trained in other religions... When the music begins to play, they bow down and worship the king. But these three guys who've got faith and trust in God, they say, we are not going to bow. We won't do it. And so the king says, okay, heat that furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been before. And the furnace was probably a dug pit in the ground, or it might have been hewn out of a hill. But they put so much coal, so much fuel in there, they got it so hot that anybody that they hated, they'd throw them in the fire, and boom, in just a few moments' time, they would scream and yell, and then they'd be dead. It would burn them up. The king was enraged that somebody would do this because it could spark some kind of insurrection among the people. And he's so infuriated. These guys are in government. These guys are looked up to. They're admired. But here they are taking a stand against the king and his image. He says, heat that furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been. So they stoke the thing and make it super hot. He says, throw them in. Pause here just a moment. This is an amazing story of sifting. It's a story of sifting. And here's the challenge of sifting. Here's what the enemy says. The enemy says, can God really save you from this? 
Now, like I said, there are a lot of great stories in the Bible. I'm going to be honest enough to tell you today, I'm not so sure I'd want to have been Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I would love to have been there to see the story that day. When the king says, you know the furnace, yeah, you're going in it if you don't bow. Can God really save you from this? Have you ever been in a situation where you're looking and you say, there is no way out of this thing. And all of a sudden a voice says, can you trust God in the middle of this? Don't you think it's time to give up? Don't, don't you think it's time to surrender your faith? I mean, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let you go through these circumstances. If God really loved you, he wouldn't let this be a problem in your life. You see, what people misunderstand is when they're being sifted, it's not God sifting, it's the enemy sifting. Trying to destroy your faith. God is not trying to destroy your faith. God is trying to strengthen and purify your faith. Can God really save you from this? There's some people in the house today. There's some people watching online. You've you got a situation today. You see no way out. And the enemy has basically said, why are you even serving God? His promises aren't true. It's not going to work. You know it's not going to work. Give up. Walk away. Forget about God. But notice Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's the proper response to this. They said, God is able to keep us from the fiery furnace. God will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, even if we die in the furnace, there's a future God has planned for us, and we will not bow. Did you know, did you know, did you know there are people in our world today who are dying for their faith in Jesus Christ? It's happening. It's not happening here in our country yet, but it's happening. And sometimes we get so insulated and we think, oh, this is just a wonderful thing. What happens if you get thrown into that fire? What happens if you're facing it? What are you going to do? God is able. He'll save me out of that. But if he doesn't, if I have to go in it, I will trust God. You see, sifting is the work of Satan. It's a trap to destroy my faith. Sifting comes not because we don't have faith. Sifting comes because we do have faith. And see, God may not keep me from going into the furnace, but he will go in the furnace with me and he'll bring me safely out on the other side. That's God. So you got to trust him. You got to trust him. Now, I, I didn't take time to read the story because I got to move fast because I got something else to talk about here. But Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they heat, they heat that furnace so hot that the guards get close to the furnace and as they throw those guys into that hole, into that furnace, the heat's so great it kills the guards. That's how hot it was. And they had tied them up, they'd wrapped them up and they threw them headlong, just threw them into the furnace. The king waits a few minutes and walks over and looks in and waits till the temperature drops a little bit and he turns around and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wasn't it three guys we threw in the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yeah, king, three guys. He said, I just looked in the furnace and I see four people. They're not hurt. They're not being burned. They've already been loosed from their bonds. Those guys are walking around the furnace and the fourth is like to the Son of God. Let me tell you something. If you go into the furnace for Jesus, he'll be in the furnace with you. 
So when they bring those guys out of the furnace, all of a sudden when those three come out, the king changes the laws of the land. Let me tell you something. Your faith impacts people. Don't be afraid to trust God when the enemy's trying to destroy your faith. Stand strong. God will turn it into something special. He will. You know, I'll, I'll do this real quickly. I'm, I'm, I'm out of time on this point, but let me do this quickly. Another story in the Old Testament that really shows us this is the story of Job. If you read the story of Job, what happened one day, Satan showed up in the presence of God and God said, God knew what was going on. Have you, have you been looking at Job? Yeah, I, I know who Job is. God says, did you ever notice he's perfect, he's upright, he trusts me? And Satan says, yeah, why wouldn't he? You've got a hedge of protection built around his life. But you pull down that hedge and you let me reach in there and create some problem in his life, he'll turn his back on you. You read the story of Job. Job never lost his confidence in God. God said he never lost his integrity. It was a challenge. It was the enemy saying, if I, if I take him and I sift him and I take away his family and his wealth and all the things that make him comfortable, he'll give up on God. But at the end of the day, he never gave up on God. You know, through the years, I, I've seen people get sifted. Health issues, business issues, finance issues, family issues, job issues, broken relationships. And I've watched people walk away from their faith. But when you do that, you don't walk into a better life. You walk into a life of defeat. On the other hand, I've also seen people walk through the fire. And when you go through the fire, you will build an unshakable relationship with God. One that leads to a life of continuous victories and miracles. You read the story of Job, most people, when you say Job, they think, oh, suffering. Poor Job, poor Job, poor Job. Job's story is not a, just a story of suffering. It's a story of victory. At the end of the battle, God blessed Job with twice that he'd ever, everything he ever lost, he gave him twice as much in the end. He enjoyed the rest of his life with the double blessing of God because he trusted God under the most difficult circumstances of all. See, I'll never really know how great God is until I walk with him through the fire. Let me tell you today, trust God. His promises are true. He will not fail you. Turn to somebody and say, he won't let you down. He won't let you down. Number two, the second challenge I want to talk about in the next few minutes is the challenge of pruning. Pruning. We know pruning of cutting off dead limbs on a tree or Branches on a rose bush. I want to talk to you about pruning. John chapter 15, Jesus gave us this concept. I'm going to walk you through these scriptures. There's like eight verses there that all tie together. I want to show you just three of them for the sake of time because I don't want to talk about the whole big picture. But I want to look at sifting today. Or, or I'm sorry, pruning. Because as Satan sifts us to destroy our faith, God prunes us to build our faith. To produce more in our lives. Look at John chapter 15, verse number one. Here's what Jesus says I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, because we're here in wine country, some of you may see a picture of what Jesus is talking about. There is the vine, and then there are the branches that grow off the vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches that grow off of me, and you draw your strength and your nourishment from me. 
And he said, my father is the vine dresser. He's the one that takes care of the vineyard. Verse 2, Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away, removes it. Now notice what he says. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Now, two pictures here I want you to see real quickly. There's this vine and there are these branches. He said there are some branches that do not bear fruit. For whatever reason, they don't. And he doesn't prune them. He comes and takes them off and actually goes on to say he throws them aside and burns them because they're, they're useless. But he said for those who are connected to Christ and begin to bear fruit, at the end of each harvest, he prunes them. So in the next harvest time, they can bear more fruit. And then in verse number eight, here's what Jesus says. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Did you know, everybody look at me, did you know God wants you to bear much fruit? I mean, he likes it when you bear a little fruit, but he likes it more. He's glorified when we bear a lot of fruit. And he goes on to say, so you will be my disciples. Now, I can turn this around and I can tell you, true disciples, true followers of Jesus don't mind being pruned and they like to bear fruit. It's not to put anybody down. You say, well, I'm not really bearing much fruit. You will. You keep walking with God and trusting him. You will. You will. But in this story, I want you to see something. Pruning is a cleansing. Pruning is a cleansing. When they cut back those limbs or those branches... It's a cleansing, it's cutting off old dead stuff in preparation for new stuff. It's preparing for greater productivity. You know, I've, I've heard people say who in the business, and I'll tell you, I do not have a green thumb, okay? Thank God that we can hire people who can make things grow because I cannot, okay? I underwater it, I overwater it, I underfertilize, I overfertilize. Just my presence creates problems with plants. I'm not sure why that is. My wife's probably going to say a big amen. But here's the point. Trees that bear fruit, after the harvest, they trim those limbs back so that the limbs grow stronger and thicker, and next season they bear more larger fruit. It's just a process of nature. Jesus uses this analogy. Pruning is not the work of the enemy. Sifting is the work of the devil. But pruning is the work of God it's a spiritual process that brings growth and blessing into our lives. But a lot of us have not been taught that from time to time, God needs to prune some things out of our lives. And I want to illustrate this to you and talk about it for a few minutes. You know, life is made up, if, if you think about the past for most people, there are exceptions. But for most people, if you talk about the past, they're going to tell you about some wonderful achievements that they've experienced. They're going to talk about some accomplishments in their life, where they've been, what they've done, and the great things that happened. We talk about the victories. Life is made up. The joy of life is made up out of accomplishments and achievements and victories. But the truth is, victories are for a moment and then life moves on to what's next. There are processes that we go through when we walk with God. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm not going to have you turn there. I'm going to quote a little bit of it. Familiar verses. Ecclesiastes 3 has some really great insight into this. And I want you to listen to what it says. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says, To everything there is a season. To everything, everything, there's a season. In the original writings, it doesn't say to everything there's a season. In the original writings, it just says a season. To everything there is was thrown in by translators. In the original writings, it says a season. There are seasons. And then it goes on to say, there's also a time, a time for every purpose under heaven. And he goes on verse 2, he starts illustrating this. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up, rip up what's been planted. And he goes on for several verses and lists several things that happen in life. And it's almost like oxymorons. Being born, dying. Planting, ripping up what you planted. It's almost like he's saying there are things that have a beginning and there are things that have an ending in life. Verse 11, he says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Not season. God makes everything beautiful in its time. Now, let me explain that to you. There are seasons in life. For fruit trees, for rose bushes, for vineyards, there are seasons of life. And within each, or in that big picture of a season, there's a process of things that happen. God says in life, there are appointed periods of time. We call them months, weeks, days, but there are seasons. There are appointed periods of time. But within those appointed periods of time, there is the word time. In the original writings here, it means there are right now moments. In a season... There are right now moments of things that need to be happening, things that I need to be doing. And if I'm going to see the season be successful, I have got to do each thing in its time. I have to stay in step with nature. I, in a spiritual sense, I have to stay in step with God's timing, God's plan, and what God is trying to do in my life. See, some people have no concept of this. I've known Christian people, oh my, what in the world are you talking about? Let me tell you something. My life, your life, it's season after season after season. And if I'm going to walk with God, I have to understand within that season, there are right now moments where right now, this is what I need to be doing. Because right now moments are what makes the season successful. This is good, okay? God makes everything beautiful in its right now moment. But if you don't do things in the right now moment and you get out of sequence, things don't work right. You don't prune the bush when the fruit's there. You wait until the season's over. you got to do things and it's time. Now, in the next several verses there in Ecclesiastes, I didn't take time to read it because I don't have the time today. Over and over again, he talks about beginnings and endings, beginnings and endings, beginnings and endings. He talks about opposites. There are right now, listen to me, there are right now moments to mourn. And there are right now moments to dance. If you're dancing when you're supposed to be mourning, 
you're not going to heal well and people are going to think you're crazy. If you're mourning when you're supposed to be dancing, you're out of step and nobody wants to hang out with you. Okay? You walk through that whole list. There are beginnings, there are endings. There are right time, a right now moment for everything. But you've got to stay in sequence with God. Everything is beautiful if you keep it in its right now moment. Now, let me, I'm going I'm to bring this all to a summary here in just a couple of minutes, but stay with me. It's been said by a lot of people that life is like a garden. Your life is like a garden. In Genesis 2, it says the Lord God took the man, Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden, and he put him there to tend it, which means to work it and to cultivate it, to do right now things when it needed to be done. He also put him there to keep it, which means to guard it. So he's there to cultivate it, be a good gardener, take care of that garden and do everything in its right now moment and protect what God has planted. Did you know in your own life you need to learn to cultivate it, cooperate with God, do what the right now moment is asking you to do and to guard what God has planted in you? Well, this is good. This is good. If I was famous, I'd write a book about this and make a lot of money. But since I'm not, I won't. Are you following me? God gives us responsibility for our own life. Some people go through life, well, you know, whatever God does, God does. I have no control over that. God is looking for people who cooperate with him and have right now moments where they do what they're supposed to do in the moment and it produces in our lives. But we've got to be engaged with the whole process. Let me illustrate this to you. Everybody has their own favorite flower, so I, I'm not saying this needs to be everybody's favorite, but you know what's really beautiful? Roses are beautiful. Different colors, different shapes. I think we've got a picture of rose, rose garden, you know, just pictures of roses. They come in different shapes, different sizes, different colors. They're beautiful. When you see a rose bush in bloom, it's like, wow. That's pretty. Ann and I used to live in a neighborhood where many of our neighbors had these huge rose bushes that had grown into small trees. And at a certain time of the year, man, it was magnificent, the beauty of those roses. They just bloomed like crazy. And everybody wants life to look like this. Isn't that true? Doesn't everybody want life to be beautiful like that? Man, if I can just, you know, well, there's thorns back there. I know there's a doubter in every crowd. I know, I know. Somebody's going to get to that. But that's what I want my life to look like. Man, I, I, want, I want the roses. I want beauty all the time. But in order for us to have that, continually, there has to be some pruning along the way. Because over time, those roses begin to die. They begin to wither. They begin to lose their color. They become dark and then the petals start to fall off one by one by one until they're gone. And the only thing left is the bloom from which that rose started. And it's dead. And it's just hanging on the end of that branch. It's just dead. It's just there. You see, pruning is God working to help me remove unhealthy, unnecessary distractions from my life. 
God's trying to move some old dead buds out of our lives. But he can't do it if we're not cooperating with him. So from time to time, the Holy Spirit begins to knock on our door and God begins to say, you know what? Let's, let's talk about this. This is interfering with your growth. This is keeping you from moving forward. See, when a bloom dies and all you have is that nub left, when that bloom dies, nothing grows in its place until the dead bloom is removed. A few years ago, Ann and I, where we lived, where all of our neighbors had beautiful roses, there was a part of our property that had a whole bunch of rose bushes. Some of them were tall, some of them were really small. But for a few years, they hadn't been properly kept. And some of them were so twisted and just arms going everywhere, you, you couldn't hardly get in there to work with them. And I didn't know anything, so I, I asked a lady in the church who knew a lot about roses, and she kind of gave me a crash course. I started trying to prune those bushes back. And it was difficult because there were lots of limbs that should have been pruned off along the way, a lot of branches along the way. Because a rose bush, if it's healthy, has the ability to produce hundreds of roses in a harvest. But if you don't cut back the branches, if you don't live it where the resources go, it will produce hundreds of roses that are unhealthy rather than a hundred roses that are healthy and beautiful. So some things have to be removed along the way. And I learned, I learned working with those roses, when those, I mean, those roses were beautiful, beautiful magnificent some of them were huge some of them were small they were beautiful but what this lady told me was when they're dead you've got to go back to a certain point she explained it to me you got to snip them off cut them off you got to prune them because if you don't nothing else is going to grow and if you don't do it properly it won't be healthy in the future so i learned a little bit not much but a little bit about roses when that bloom is not removed, nothing else is going to grow on that branch. You know, pruning in our lives, it draws us closer to eternal kingdom living. When we allow God to prune things in our lives, when we cooperate with him, it draws us closer to the heart of God and it pulls us further away from temporary fulfillment in things of the flesh that are unnecessary. It helps us identify the things that are draining energy and resources out of our lives that are not producing. And the truth is, pruning can be difficult for a moment. I mean, it demands change. And my time's almost gone, but I'm going to take an extra two minutes here I'm almost finished. In conclusion, you know what it means when a pastor says in conclusion? It means absolutely nothing. Okay, just so you know. But I'm going to take a couple of minutes because I want you to get this. I want to explain this to you. Pruning demands change. And most of us, our nature is we don't like change. We don't like change. We don't want things to be pruned. I remember when I was 20 years old, God had called me to ministry. He'd opened some doors. I had my opportunity, got an opportunity to, to go work in a church. And I was so excited. I had to move across the country. And I had a bunch of friends that I'd been buddies with since I was like 13. We were tight. How many of you know those friends through the teenage years, there's just a bond that's there? 
that just kind of sticks forever. But some of those friends, as time goes by, the relationship needs to change if you want to keep your wife. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I had some of those buddies and uh, went through some things with my friends. I had to realize, and God dealt with my heart, I had to realize if I'm going to go where God wants me to go, if I'm going to see all this stuff happen in my life, I'm going to have to let God prune those relationships back a little bit. Not cut them out totally, but change their influence in my life. It was difficult. Because don't, we don't like change. Because I was raised in an old-fashioned Pentecostal church, I can say this. Nobody else can do this unless you have the background. You know how many Pentecostals it takes to change a light bulb? It takes four. It takes one to change the bulb and three to talk about how good the old bulb was. But it's not just true of Pentecostals. A lot of us don't like change. And so we hold to the old. Oh boy, this flower, this rose is so beautiful. This rose is so beautiful. And six weeks later, it's dead. All the petals have fallen off. And we're still holding on to that dead nub. And we're saying, look at this, everybody. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this beautiful? Nobody else is saying, eh, not so much. Not really, I don't see it. Aren't those colors amazing? I don't see it. Isn't that design beautiful? I don't see it. And we start living in the past because we refuse to let God cut off what needs to be moved so we can go on to the next thing that God has for us. We resist it because it's human nature. Pruning opens the door for new things. If I reject pruning, I reject the new and I choose to live in old, dead, past victories. And there's nothing wrong, nothing worse than hanging out with people who are living in the past. Like Nike said, the older I get, the better I was. You know how those people are when you hang around them? They tell you how great they are. No, no, that, that, that rose has faded. It's gone. It, you're not what you used to be. God didn't design us to live looking backward. God designed us to live in right now looking forward. And pruning is part of that process. If I reject pruning, I sentence myself to live in the past. If I reject pruning, my life becomes imbalanced and the limbs start getting twisted because there's stuff there that's messing up my growth so things start popping up in other places. If I reject pruning, I lose the joy and the excitement of walking in step with God and life becomes stale. Pruning turns my eyes from what's behind me to what God has ahead of me. And if I reject pruning, I cannot step into all that God has for me. Pruning helps me grow and become more productive. Pruning makes God bigger and more important and the rest of the stuff of the world becomes smaller and less important. I begin to see the big picture of life that God sees. Pruning helps me see eternal things not just the temporary things. And everybody wants their life to look like that. Look at that for a minute. Isn't that what you want from your life? Everybody wants life to look like those roses. If you want your life to look like that, from time to time, for a time, for an appointed Right now, moment, from time to time, if you want to look like that, from time to time, you're going to need to look like this. 
Because this is what produces that. I said earlier, and I'm closing with this, final thought. Pruning is a work that the Holy Spirit does at the end of harvest when God says, okay, catch your breath. Catch your breath. Rejoice one more time. Be thankful for the great stuff that just happened, but get ready. New things are ahead. Stop looking over your shoulder and start, start looking forward. You need to cut this out of your life. See, God doesn't come in and just chop stuff off. God says, let me cut this out. And then he expects us to cooperate and make the moves that need to be made. If we'll do that, that's what's next. Scripture says we go from glory to glory. Every season produces that if we walk it out correctly. I want to pray for you today. I've already gone too long. I have to finish. Let me pray for you right now. Father, all across this room, there are people that you've been speaking to, watching online. There are people that you're touching their hearts. They're beginning to see the big picture differently. Some people are being sifted today. The enemy's trying to destroy their faith. And they're going to have to decide to stand on the promises of your word and believe you. I ask you that you'd give them strength to do just that. And then there are people who in this season are needing to be pruned. And God, we love the past. We love to celebrate those victories. But according to your word, there are bigger things ahead if we'll walk this out correctly. So I pray today that you would fine tune our hearts. Help us to not resist you. Help us to cooperate with you. And let you do the work you want to do in our lives. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just one more quick prayer. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online, you're listening to this later. And maybe you've not really turned your heart to God because there are things in life you're holding on to that are temporary and they're really not important in the big picture. But you've held on to those things and you've never grasped the eternal things because you're holding on to temporary things that keep leaving. Maybe you're realizing today, if I lay down everything else, God will change my life. God loves you so much, he put his own son on a cross to bring you into relationship with him. So I want to lead you in a prayer. You can wrap your heart around this prayer. We're going to say it together. All it does is open the door for God to begin to work in your life. So if you would, let's, let's pray this prayer together. Everybody in the house, repeat this with me. There at home, you might want to pray it right there. Say, God, I need you. And I open my life to you. Please come into my life. Change everything. I accept Jesus as my Savior. What he did on the cross, full payment for all of my sins. And I choose Jesus to become my Savior and the Lord of my life. I will follow you I will learn your ways. I will be your child. From this moment forward, you're my father, and I trust my life to you. Thank you for receiving me. Amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you've just been running from God for a while, but your heart says it's time to start following the Lord, it's the greatest decision you can ever make in life. We've got a simple little tool we want to give you. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's a little booklet. 
All it does is gives you a little reading for the next seven days, the next week, each day, just a little bit. That'll help you understand a little bit more about what a relationship with God's really all about. We're not interested in giving you religion. We want to give you a relationship with God and introduce you to him. Let us give this booklet to you. If you're watching online, there are different ways you can get it. You can just click the tabs. You can find it there. If you're in the house, when service is over, we'll have prayer teams on each side of the building in the open areas. They're there to pray with anyone for any need. Just walk up to them and say, can I get the booklet? If you're in a real rush, as you leave the building today, where the glass doors are in the lobby, right in the middle, there's a counter set up there. You can stop by and get the next seven days booklet there. Please let us give this to you. It will help you begin your journey with God. Can we just welcome people into God's family today?